take a big step back and look at what you're doing and is it different than what everybody else is doing? Because I think we're hitting a a time right now where people are genuinely quite bored of the same old thing and the same routine on on YouTube and the types of content that they're consuming. Our habit is when we start YouTube or we start anything, we're just trying to blend in and regurgitate things that have already been successful. But I wish maybe now that I tried even more to be different at the beginning. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to my social life. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by Surf. And this is the podcast where we teach you how to grow on social media by talking to people who have actually done it. People like Lizzie Pierce, who has over 220,000 subscribers on YouTube. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast today. Lizzie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you here. And where I want to start, before we dive into YouTube and everything, I want to know who was Lizzie before YouTube? <laughs> the same person I am now, but <laughs> um, that's a good question. I am, I mean, I, I feel like I am the same person. I have a lot of my same friends before this. It's not like, um, you know, when you start YouTube, I think a lot of people look at YouTubers as like celebrities now and whatever, but you know, I am truly the same human I was before. Um, but I was just a, a person who loved uh, shooting, taking photos. Um, I thought I was going to be more in a video producer role. I mean, YouTube and being a YouTuber wasn't really a thing yet, but I always knew that I was going to be involved in something creative. Um, I was a, a super creative kid, big music nerd, was in like the choir, strings, orchestra, played piano, musical theater, participated in talent shows, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, I just knew that I wanted to really enjoy my job and I knew I wanted to travel. That was basically my only criteria <laughs> in becoming an adult. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And when it comes to be to music and stuff, you thought you were going to be a famous singer by 10, right? I was quite convinced. Where did you read that? Oh my gosh, you've done your research. I'm so impressed. Um, yeah, I was convinced that I was, I mean, when you're a kid, you're convinced of a lot of things. Like I was going to have magical powers like Matilda. I was going to be discovered. And, you know, by the time I was a teenager, I was going to be a famous singer. And like, this is just the way my life was going to happen. So you, I had confidence in myself. That was the one thing I had going for me for sure. And then so what was the switch from you originally going to school to play cello to end up going for like video production and things like that? I I mean, props to you if you're a cellist and you're and you're making a living. I think that was really the main deterrent was I started to think like, what is my job going to look like if I am a cellist? Um, not uh, I don't know how lucrative that will be. And I don't know if a lot of what I want out of life will be possible in that career. I will really enjoy it, um, but I don't think I'll be able to travel. I think my income is probably going to be capped at a certain amount. And I had lots of interests too. That was just one thing that I was good at. And then I also don't know if I was great at it. I was really good, but there were some other people I knew of that were really, really, really good. And I just kind of saw it being an upward battle for um, for no real amazing, you know, outcome. And, uh, I, I wanted to keep it as just a hobby, but it's an unfortunate. I since really don't play that much anymore. Um, I would love to pick up a cello again, but I even have a keyboard that Chris got me for Christmas and I'm so busy. I truly haven't played it yet, which I really need to do. So like one thing at a time, you know? 
I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but like, how do you balance your schedule a little bit? You know, like with all the things you got on the go and like you mentioned keeping it as a hobby. And I think hobbies are important too and something that should be a part of that schedule. So like, how do you kind of handle your crazy schedule? It's an ongoing battle. Um, there is no such thing as work-life balance. I think some things, it's always an ebb and flow. You have to kind of see what matters more at certain times than others and and see how you're feeling and reevaluate. Um, but especially as a person who is I'm still quite young and, you know, no one is really holding my hand teaching me how to do this and how to how to run a, a business. Um, I'm learning a lot on the go. Um, but I think the most important thing is really looking at what's important to me and how I'm feeling. And if something wasn't worth it um, and didn't fit my morals and like my my priorities in life, then I need to reevaluate. Um, and I think for a lot of people initially in starting their career, money can be a huge motivating factor. But at a certain point, I think you you realize, I think there was a study done that said once people make more than like $70,000 a year, their happiness doesn't really increase after that. So at a certain point, like you can keep getting, you know, doing more jobs, making more money, et cetera, et cetera, but that's not really going to make you happy anymore. So after that, what what is the next thing that's going to make you a happier person? Is it investing time in those hobbies? Is it spending more time with family? Is it taking a trip? Um, and then through that and saying no to some and usually it's if you get into this like kind of career, you're a bit of a workaholic. So you'll find that you end up saying no. And that creates a bit of balance in in terms of your happiness and like non-negotiable. You know, I'm out at this time of day. Um, I get this many hours of sleep. Um, and of course, hiring on, which I'm working on, like expanding my team and um, not being afraid to relinquish control, which is something I'm working on. Because <laughs> um, of course, there's like a level of authenticity that your audience demands in this industry. So, what can I? Um, what is most important for me to be present in and participate in, and what what things can I outsource um, to keep this going? So, and with your editor, you kind of like stair stepped your way in, right? Like his name's Josh, I believe, and like he started doing like some minor things and kind of slowly worked up into to taking on more stuff, right? Exactly. Um, so Josh started out. He's actually right over here. My my right hand man, he started out doing some uh, weekly vlogs for me because that was just something I wanted to like give a go on my channel, see how it see how it went. But I knew that along with my other hero content, I wouldn't be able to handle it. So I just thought, you know, I'll get someone to do that completely. Then uh, that was in January, and then of course we know January 2020, and we know how things went a few months after. So I, there wasn't much for me to do in my weekly vlogs anymore. So I stopped those and I said, but, you know, I'm not going to say, OK, no more job for Josh in the middle of the pandemic that I that didn't feel right. So I said, OK, so why don't you help me with some of my other content? And so he did. And then over the course of I feel like it was maybe like six months or so, um, I started relying a little more heavily on him. We got busier, busier and busier and busier. And then there was one month where I went, OK, I think I need to book you for the whole month. And then the next month, I couldn't envision not having him for that whole month. So I said, how would you feel about us doing this full time? And he was keen. And ever since then, he's been like, he knows I can't live without him. And he's so much fun to work with. And we've become like best friends through this. And so um, I always tell him, I'm like, if you want, you can always be like 
my creative director of <laughs> LP Inc. or whatever you want, if that interests you, because, um, yeah, he's just so great to work with and he's got great ideas. I think the channel's evolved for the better because of it. So now it's just, you know, who do we, we've got a lot of like, I say we, cause Chris and I, we've got a lot of people on contract per job, but I think we're, we're trying to figure out what the next step is and who will be our next full-time human, you know? One thing you mentioned there said, like you mentioned your hero content, your weekly vlogs, like what are those content pillars that you have? Like, how do you look at your own content? Like, what do you classify as hero? What, like, what are all those pillars and how do you decide what video fits into those buckets? Um, a hero video would be something like something more evergreen, something, um, one of my, so I like to post one video a week. So I, I think I would say that like my hero video would be one of those four. Occasionally would it like shift out for something else maybe, but we're not really, I mean, an easy answer is we're not really doing the weekly vlogs anymore. So, um, that doesn't really happen, but if there's, they're, they're usually something like bigger, more effort, more evergreen. Okay. And What's like, because Know How Media, you're still running that as well on top of YouTube, correct? Yes. How do you like split your time then? Like we kind of talk about your schedule. And <laughs> Not how you well. Turn- <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, at this point, we're very choosy about the jobs that we take on. So um, just because there's more... Not because that business, you know, the business was still doing really well. But I mean, during the pandemic, it obvious not many people were doing corporate content and all of the tourism content we were doing, you know, took a very steep stop. Um, and it shifted a lot more into our like online YouTube content. So the good thing about that is we had diversified enough that we did just fine, uh, during the pandemic, but, um, now it's, it's really just a matter of being, being very picky and, um, so we have like a list of criteria that we kind of check off to make sure whether it's a project that's the right fit. Is it something that, of course, the budget works for us? Is it something that um, is that maybe we don't have in our portfolio already, something we're really keen to work on, something that's fun for us? Or does it have a, a kind of give back, feel good quality to it, something that we feel would do you know, would be a, a positive addition to the world if we made this thing. Um, so we also have, you know, at, at this point, we have people that will hire on per project. And Chris and I kind of remain the creative directors, senior producers. We kind of just oversee the project and we're client facing. And usually we are, when it comes to shooting, we're on set, but we'll bring in script writers. We bring in, um, a PA, a, a PC, uh, usually a senior producer at this point, but Chris and I are always overseeing it just because we, there's so much going on <laughs> and we don't ever want the work to suffer because it's our names on it and our faces on it. And, um, you know, most people who run production companies don't really have, um, the visibility that we do. And, as our own people behind it so that's another layer of pressure on top of it for it to be really good you know <laughs> and a lot of times now with the company and our social media everything kind of overlaps a little bit so a lot of times yes if we're doing something for a tourism board for example we 
are posting on our own social media accounts. We're making YouTube videos or posting on Instagram, whatever, as a part of the deliverable for the client. But we're also making assets for them at the same time, whether it's a longer format video or short Instagram videos or taking photos for them to use um, on their own. I think what's interesting too is that like a lot of, with your production company, a lot of people I find when they think about making content that's going to benefit their business, like if it was a production company, they'd think of making content about being a production company, but you've created content that's like, it's not the exact, like it wouldn't be like your YouTube content isn't just as a content company. Like it's your content, you're Lizzie Pierce and it's driving people to the business, but it's not like a direct ad for the company. I think that's really interesting and like a, a case study for why content marketing is so valuable. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think that's because it was never really the intention. Um, I think with some people when they're starting their social media accounts, I guess they, they're trying to they're trying to promote the business as its own thing, which also is, it's really hard to do that now. People want a face behind a brand. They want that. They want to be able to identify with you, know who you are, get to know you. It's more, it's much more interesting to get to know a person than it is to get to know a company, you know, and it's much easier to do, to do. Um, so I think that's a big reason why this ended up working out for us so well. But it, the funny part is it wasn't really our intention. Our intention was to grow, you know, um, to have fun making content we wanted to make, of course. And I mean, my mission behind my channel is always to inspire, you know, one person or especially young women to be able to to start their own creative business and, um, you know, join a, a field that is predominantly male dominated. Um, but at the same time, it en- it just ended up. Um, and I mean, it, it, we also did want nobody, nobody doesn't want their channel to perform well or, you know, participate in, in sponsorships or branding content. So that was also something we were excited for when that started to happen. I say we because my husband and I started around the same time. Um, and that was in the back of our minds a little bit. But um, yeah, it so we kind of ended up developing like all these separate things that ended up working out really well together and I mean there like there was some strategy behind that I'm not going to say like oh look at what happened but it 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 wasn't as like manipulative as it sounds (laughs) maybe was it hard in the beginning to to take the jump and focus on YouTube when you know you have this business that's successful that's in demand to kind of take a little bit of focus off that to also focus on the YouTube was that a tough kind of shift for you in the beginning so difficult uh for both Chris and I because so he got more success initially on YouTube and my my success kind of came a little later. I say success in terms of being able to support ourselves solely on that. So initially he was taking more of a step back um, from the production company and I was filling in there instead and that was fine. And we were hiring on and, you know, if that's his priority, that was okay. You know, I'm not going to chokehold him into staying if he didn't want to. Um, but he still, you know, was participating. I'm not going to make it sound like he wasn't there at all. Um, and that was mostly because, yeah, my, my income came mostly from the company at the time. And then suddenly it was a few months in and I reached the point and I remember telling Chris like, no, I'm never going to not want, you know, the business will never not be my main thing, you know? And then a few months in, I just got really overwhelmed with juggling both. And I looked at him and I said, I'm really not enjoying what we're doing for the business. And I'm really having fun with what we're doing on YouTube. And YouTube right now is is paying me more. And I'm really annoyed that I have to keep doing this other corporate thing, for example. Um, 
And it was, like I said earlier, we are learning as we go. So finding a way to, because I never felt like it was smart to stop, like close that company, leave it behind. Because, you know, and it's proved to be a a great idea, as we can tell, to keep it going. But I was really, um, I kind of put my foot down to keep it going. And yeah, it's proved to be good, but it was, um, it's hard. I don't know. We, everything was new. Every decision to hire on, to, um, to like figure out what our work-life balance is going to be like. It's all, of course it was really hard and it was really stressful. And initially we were working, like when we started YouTube, we were working on weekends and late evenings and like weekends weren't a thing. It was just whenever we could get work done. And really that only stopped and got a lot easier when we hired, when I hired Josh and when Chris hired Lucas. And that was really the moment that everything, in my opinion, at least for me, I can't speak for Chris, got a lot easier and we developed a routine and we had an off our separate office spaces and there was more process in place. And so it's just one thing at a time, making one decision at a time and not being too hard on yourself if it doesn't work out or if things change or if you made a mistake or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really hard because you don't know whether what you're doing is like, you don't know whether you're making the right decision. Um, to leave something that seems more secure that even at that point, our families thought was already really crazy, you know, to have our own production company. They thought, oh, you're insane. And now we're like, no, remember? So no more of that. We're going to start YouTube now. And they're like, have you learned nothing? Um, but now of course they're like, oh, good for you. It's doing really well. I have no idea what you do, but nice. With those processes you have in place now that you have Josh, Chris has Lucas, there's a lot of solo creators that listen to this show. So I'm curious if there's been like looking back now, are there processes you could have put in place prior to having editors? Like when you were kind of doing the just work all the time, just whenever you can work on the videos, work on YouTube, was there a process that could have been put in place when you were doing it on your own? Like the two of you doing it on your own before having an editor that you could like share to a solo creator listening to this right now? I think we have a habit of trying to take on everything ourselves because it's a little bit cheaper, not even a little bit because we can save money. And even now I'm trying to tell myself it makes more sense to make some of those financial investments early on because you'll be able to grow faster and your content will be better earlier. Um, And if you're a creator and what you love to do is create, then just let yourself do that and find somebody else to do everything else your taxes, um, if it's script writing, um, if it's, you know, more of the production coordinator tasks, like making schedules or client communication, um, find someone else who's good at that and who likes it. So you can focus on what you like and are good at. Um, and I think if I took more chances in outsourcing earlier, um, I may be even further now than I Am. I'm curious, pre having an editor, did you ever come close to like not quitting YouTube, but just kind of pausing YouTube to focus on other things because the schedule got too hectic? I mean, even now, my consistency isn't perfect. Um, we do post about four videos a month, but they're on different days of the week. And I haven't yet found a way to do that without totally killing myself because I feel like I'm killing myself now to do that. Um, yeah. 
so yeah, I think I did like on certain trips, I definitely did. Um, if we were away on like a tourism board trip and I, I had a video due and I just couldn't get the edit done. And, you know, those are so, um, hectic as it is, like you're up really late, you're up really early. They're very physically taxing. We're carrying gear around. Then you have to be creative on top of that. I'm exhausted. And so there were times that I would post on YouTube and I would just say, you know, guys, sorry, there isn't going to be a video this week. And everyone was really nice about it. But every time you do that, you're you're slowing down your progress and it's affecting the algorithm. So if, if growth is your main objective, it's hard. It's really frustrating to have to do that. But I am religious about at Christmas. I just take time off and I don't care um, about what that's doing to me or, or how it's hurting my numbers because at, a, at, at some point something's got to give. And I know that I work hard and I know that if I keep showing up, progress will be made, you know, no matter what. And I, I think that some creators will disagree with me because I think I preach a little more work-life balance than others because some are very like results focused and growth focused and they're even more like workaholics than me. But I think, you know, a happy life is one where you you're actually happy and relaxed and doing all the things you want to do. Not just like my, my self-worth isn't totally, um, weighted in my career. I I agree with you. It's like, what's the point of putting in all the work to not be happy with the outcome? Like you're supposed to be working for a happier outcome. And if you're not happy with the outcome, then something has to change. So I think that makes sense with taking the break and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There haven't been times where I've taken long, long breaks. Um, usually it's like a week or two because something has come up and that's just, and I kind of just go, that's just the way it is. It's just not going to happen. And I'm, I'm already killing myself and I can't, I, there's nothing I can do without truly, you know, running myself into the ground. So I just, you can't be, you can't beat yourself up. And so in those moments then where you kind of figured like maybe taking a more extended break, what brings you back to starting again? I think everyone goes through ebbs and flows in terms of burnout. And I've talked about this a lot on my channel. Um, For me, taking a break almost makes it worse if I step away from it for a long period of time. I almost get all this anxiety going back into it and the pressure builds to make something really good. And so I think I've just kind of taken that pressure off and going, well, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to make something and I'm going to give it the effort that I have. And if it's not the best thing I ever made, then it's not the best thing I ever made, you know, but at least I made something and maybe the next one I'll be more energized to do. And I pay attention to what I'm excited about. And there's a lot of like in being a creative and a business owner, if, if you're not taking time to like self-reflect a little bit, then you're just kind of shooting in the dark all the time, <laughs> which isn't very productive. Um, so I, I mean, I've seen a lot of creators. They're just like, I'm burnt out. I'm taking a month off or I'm taking two months off. And I have some friends that are in the middle of that right now. And I have zero judgment for that. It's almost just impressive that they were able to put their foot down and say, you know what? I don't need this. And it's not my first priority. Like I have, you could say I could have less, I have less respect for people who keep running themselves into the ground and just keep making, um, crap content because they're not happy and they don't feel like they can stop and they don't feel like they have any control over their lives. I'm just like, you know, hold your own. You can, you know, it's your life. It's your business. Take control, do what you want. Um, but, and I've, I haven't yet felt the need to take longer than like a week or two. And usually that's just because I'm busy. Um, 
I haven't had that much of a, of a well, I, it's no secret on the internet that my dad actually uh, passed away four years ago now, but that was right before I started YouTube. If I was doing YouTube, I 1000% would have just been like, see you guys in two months. <laughs> if something happens in your life, you have, you know, all the power to step back. And I think you should. Like, it's such a weird thing to show up on the internet and not be happy and be all smiley and be like, look at this lens. Isn't this fantastic? I would not be able to do that. <laughs> Why do you think people feel a pressure to keep posting no matter how they're feeling or what's going on? Is it purely just like, I don't want the algorithm to start looking poorly on my channel? Like, what is it that keeps people going even when they know they need a break? I think they probably equate a lot of their success to and like self-worth in in their success in their like career success and i think that's just really 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 important to them um or they just love it or you know i know some people that like they just really enjoy it and if they're not making stuff they are if they feel weird and that's fine too but i think most of those people they just feel like they need it and if they're not doing well at it then they are failures um and i feel like most people who are if you want to say quote unquote successful are workaholics for that reason if it if they have something that doesn't go well or they're not you know making a certain like um, amount of money or they're not where they envision themselves career wise by age 30 i think it's because that's really really important to them and is that healthy no there are a lot of things that make you a great human being without um you know being having a huge fancy career you know um and i don't think there's anything wrong with you know saying here's a great example like a stay-at-home mom a lot of people are like oh that's all you do you just stay at home with your kids and don't get me wrong i think for many of those women they could be doing you know they could have a job that would be like a really exciting thing for them to do in addition to that but at the same time that job isn't any less fulfilling or any less valuable in some ways it's more fulfilling and more valuable than being a youtuber it's just you get all this praise for being on camera and for doing like things like i'm doing right now and you know being out there and people know who you are and oh that's so cool you must be really successful but then there's a person who literally shaped a young mind and is taking care of them every day and teaching them how to be a good person which do we think is actually more important you know Definitely. I think one thing too, with like with the people who feel the pressure to post and stuff and are trying to post every day. And this is something I've even caught with myself is like when you're posting every day, I've posted every single week or not every day, every week, I've posted a full interview and like a bonus episode on twice or once, two episodes a week for three and a half years. And when doing that and trying to keep up with that hamster wheel of, I got to get a podcast out every single week, it makes it tough to to kind of strategize and lay out the kind of the, the bigger plan, the grand vision of like where you're actually taking this. Cause I'm just so focused on getting a new episode up this week. So I'm curious how you kind of take those steps back to, and plan the, the one year, two year, three, five, 10 year plan and not get caught up in like the constant hamster wheel of having to get content out there all the time. I think I'm working on it. I don't know if anyone's great at it, but you, you have to schedule in that time somehow and not feel guilty about it. Um, and usually that means taking time away from um, and what that has meant since hiring Josh is taking away time from me editing videos, which has freed up a lot of time for me to do things like this. Um, you know, look at the big picture. What what products do we want to launch? How am I going to do that? How are we going to grow a business that isn't solely 
um, reliant on sponsorships and things like that. You know, that's not sustainable at all. And so now I'm, and I, at the end of the day, yes, I am the talent, but I am also, um, I am also the business owner and I have to, it's my job to figure out how that growth is going to work. And so therefore I can't necessarily be the one editing it all the time. Outsourcing is huge. And I am in some ways caught up in that hamster wheel, but the only way to not be in that hamster wheel is to outsource and get help. Um, And if I'm finding that, you know what, I don't know why I'm spending an hour, you know, something I'm looking into right now is I handwrite all my newsletters, which I want to, which I really enjoy, but that's not really sustainable. I should probably hire a copywriter. So now I'm looking into that because that's going to free up an hour a month, which I could be using to, um, you know, build another digital uh, product or figure out um, my different, you know, funnels for how to sell that product, my launch strategies, things that are definitely going to be more lucrative for the business than me writing, spending that hour on a newsletter. Um, so it's being kind to yourself and having the ability to prioritize is huge. My husband struggles with that deeply. (laughs) (laughs) And so with your, you kind of mentioned earlier, but with prioritizing all the things you could possibly do, like what's that mental checklist look like? Like when something pops up, whether it be something that you have to figure out internally or like earlier we're talking about when like something like an opportunity comes up, like what's that internal checklist you run through when deciding how to prioritize? It's, this is going to sound kind of airy fairy, but I guess what it really boils down to is a gut feeling. Um, Usually at some point in the process of doing that thing, you're going to realize this is kind of stupid. Why am I doing this? Or I have this and this and this to do. I'm already overwhelmed. How am I going to fit in an hour to write this newsletter? Maybe I shouldn't be fitting in an hour to write this newsletter. You know, um, (laughs) self-awareness. That's the only thing it boils back to. Asking yourself a lot of questions. Is this important for me to be working on right now because there's so many hours in the day? Or taking... um, writing down writing lists of you know your annual goals your monthly goals down all the way down to your daily goals and seeing what what you can hand off and what that's going to look like like i don't i wish i had the secret you know i think it's important as a business owner and i'm doing this right now to also continue to educate yourself so i'm involved in another course on how to launch online products because i have i don't know how to do that <laughs> I, I've been doing it. I'm doing okay with my, you know, with my following as it is, but I could be doing a way better job. Um, but I, I don't know how to do that. I know how to make videos and take pictures and, um, I know how to make content for a video production company. I know how to be a video producer, but I don't know how to launch digital products. And I think just recognizing that is, I know a bit, but I'm not a pro by any means. You mentioned how like trusting your gut might sound a little airy fairy, but I think that that's important because a lot of people, when they try to like, when they don't trust their gut and they over, they think with their head, they overthink their decisions and they think of all the different angles. I'm curious, how long does it take you once you have an idea to maybe be like to register for a course like that or to hire an editor? Like how long does that idea kind of percolate in your head before you kind of take action on it? It used to a lot longer. Um, probably because it was always more of a financial decision and that scares people to have to put money out. Like that is the, usually what I would say holds everybody back from making decisions like that is usually money. Um, and now I do have the luxury in some cases where I've saved up a bit and I can make those investments back into my business. 
Um, but I think I wish I made some of them a little earlier because I would be further along than I am now. And I don't know if it was, um, I'm not sure it was, it was quite worth it. It's kind of like when, you know, when you go, uh, you're looking for a new house to buy or a condo and you think your budget is like $400,000. And then you start, you look at the ones that are $400,000 and you're like, it's okay. You know, like this, this it's okay, but it's not really what I was looking for. And then suddenly you go see one that's $450,000 and that's the one you end up buying and you stretch yourself a little more. And then once you're in the house, you're like, oh, I could totally afford this. Why didn't I do this earlier? Yeah, I've done that. I've never bought, but it's with, with renting places. Like I remember when I like Same moved. thing. Yeah, same thing. Like I'm paying more than I ever thought I would be, but it's totally fine. And now I'm like looking yeah. at something a little bit more expensive and it's just, yeah, no, I 100% know what you're talking about. And so because of kind of having that knowledge now, is that what allows you to make decisions faster? Or has it just been like, what's now, because you said you take you a long time to make decisions. Now you can do them a little bit quicker. Is it just kind of the experience now and understanding that or what's allowed you to make those decisions faster? Trusting your gut, being okay with making mistakes um, and knowing that, you know, the more I think about it isn't really going to change a lot. Um, I don't consider myself a very impulsive person, but I only have so much time in the day and I more and more keeps happening that I, I, you have to be decisive. You don't have a choice. Um, the, the world is going to keep on moving. Um, the day, you know, suddenly it's going to be six months from now and where am I going to be? Um, it's kind of like when people say you should go, you know, if you just start going to the gym tomorrow, eventually it'll be six months from now. You're going to live that six months regardless, and you're going to look completely different. But if you don't go and you don't just show up, you won't. And it's just as easy as going every day. Um, but I, you just don't have the luxury of mulling things over for an extended period of time. That's really it. You just have to, <laughs> um, you, the pressure is on and you've got to, if, if that seems like a good idea of hiring a copywriter sounds like a good idea, I'm just not going to overthink it and we're going to try it and see how it goes. One thing you mentioned was being okay with making mistakes. And I'm curious if you could share like a mistake you've made along the way. Cause for a lot of people, you're in a spot that they'd love to be in. And if you've made mistakes and still gotten to where you are, I'm curious what some of those mistakes you've made along the way. Um, I've got a few <laughs> I could think of right now. I mean, one is I think I rushed through launching my merch because it just started to go on for too long. And it even the next launch I want to do has gone on for so long. But I don't think I put in as much effort as I should have into marketing it. And I think I noticed that when it sold. Um and so I still have, if anybody wants one of my peak design straps, we've got lots left, so I may relaunch those. Um, but again, it comes down to that's not something I know how to do. I know how to take great photos of the products and share it on my socials. And so I was just kind of going for my warm audience right away. And I didn't really go any further than that. Um, my warm or hot, uh, hot audience. Um, another one recently, I won't name names. Um, I ended up going on a, a, a trip that was, how vague can I be? Uh, it was a, <laughs> Josh is laughing over here. It's a, a client paid for us to essentially like go on a trip and we would post about the experience. And there were also, um, deliverables we had to hand over. And when we got there, the whole project kind of exploded in our face and they, 
there were many other particulars. Like I've never experienced a project be so strict and so precise in terms of like they they basically took away our our creative control and they took away our time to actually enjoy the destination. And that was because I trusted my agent to look over the contract and protect me. And then when I got there and I realized this wasn't how it was going to be, um, I had the choice of leaving and potentially facing the whole battle with that client or I stick it, I stuck it out, which is what I ended up doing. And I was just unhappy and overworked and exhausted. And I don't, I wasn't really proud of the work I made and I learned from that. And so going forward, we will have certain things in our contract that we've never needed before because this isn't, hasn't happened in the history of our career. You think everything's going to be a routine. You know, you think you're used to it by now. Everyone's on the same page, but someone comes along and changes it for you and you just got to keep protecting yourself. And, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. My manager also learned something new. We all did. Um, if I could go back to the beginning of the campaign and leave, I think I probably would have in hindsight, but I'm not going to beat myself up for it. It's over. You know, um, I've learned how to not have that happen again. And it's funny cause I talked to Chris and I didn't have a good feeling about the campaign going into it. And usually I have a really good spidey sense about this stuff. And we just both went, we should have just trusted my gut to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> but it happens to the best of us. Like a lot of us get screwed. Sometimes we realize we should have charged more um, or promised less, et cetera, et cetera. And you just learn for the next time. And there's no point in beating yourself up or dwelling on it because it's done. Move on. How do you decide what to price? I feel like that's the number one question everybody struggles with. What do I price? What do I price? Is it just kind of starting with a number and seeing how people react and going from there? Like, what's your advice when it comes to charging for something like a brand deal? It, of course, depends on a lot of factors. If someone wants to work with me privately, I can help you figure that out. And so I can't really give you a number right now. Of course, yeah. But I think that if you're not sure, you in some ways, can just throw a number at a wall, see if people, you know, take you as for doing the job. I don't know why I worded it that way. See if people hire you <laughs> or see if they say no and that's too expensive. And then you know, okay, well, what am I, what am I, if I want to charge more down the line, what do I need to do? What are they expecting? And you can talk to your client to figure that out. Maybe what they were looking is like, is it just a matter of that's all they have? Or is it that you compared to someone else, they're the someone else who's charging more is offering a bit more than you and why that's happening. So you can also talk to your peers in the industry. But I think, yeah, sometimes it's it's just coming up with a a set amount of hours it takes you to do a project, thinking of what you would want to be paid per hour. Um what it includes based on, you know, how much gear you have, how much time you're giving, transportation, craft, um, all of that stuff. And then you come up with a number based on that. And then, yeah, just just see how it goes. There was no rule book for me, really. Um, I did learn a bit more when I started working at another production company. So if you can do that, if you're freelancing and working for somewhere else or someone else, you'll get an idea on what more senior um, photographers and videographers and DOPs are charging um, or producers or graphic designers or whatever it is you do, um, you'll be able to see that way. But there is kind of 
the further you get in your career, you'll start to see that there is kind of a trend. What's the 80-20 of like your work day? Like what are the 20% of things that are driving 80% of your results? I've only heard of 80-20 in terms of diet. Oh. <laughs> That's so funny. So what are the 20% of things that are driving the results in my business? Yeah, the 80% of the results. 80% of the results. Work ethic is a big one. Consistency, showing up every day. Communication. And I honestly just think my my ability to, I guess, like be creative in any sense, whether it's with like the work that I do, because I, I like to think my work stands out and speaks for itself, you know, but also in terms of my business and being willing to like think outside the box and and that kind of thing. So having an open mind. What would your advice be to somebody who's struggling on YouTube right now to get views? They're not sure like what to, like, what would you advise someone who's, who's kind of struggling with their YouTube right now? Take a big step back and look at what you're doing. And is it different? Is it different enough um, than what everybody else is doing? Because I think we're hitting a a time right now where people are genuinely quite bored of the same old thing and the same routine on on YouTube and the types of content that they're consuming. And like there are a lot of people that are just using the same kind of title structure, the same kind of video format. You know, how can you, whether it's the way you're presenting the information, because a lot of the information, if you think about like, say you're teaching like cooking or say you're teaching, you know, how to take photos or whatever it is, a lot of the information is the same, you know, angle, light, lens, composition, the type of gear you're using. How can you use that stuff differently to take amazing photos? But there are also a lot of people that take great photos. I'm not the only photographer in the world that is also good at their job, but I like to think I'm fun to watch. <laughs> I like to think um, I'm relatable. I like to think that I try enough new things on my channel that people enjoy watching them. Um, and how can you how can you be different? Um, and I think our habit is when we start YouTube or we start anything, we're just trying to blend in and regurgitate things that have already been successful. But I wish maybe now that I tried even more to be different at the beginning. That's kind of part of my next question is going to be, what would you do differently if you were starting over again tomorrow? Yeah, I, I think I would, I would just try to be more different. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Um, cause I think now. I've not, I've niched down for sure. I haven't like pigeonholed myself, but I think that I have a lot of other interests that I wish I could also work into my content. And now I think my only choice is to maybe start a completely separate channel to talk about that stuff, you know, like more lifestyle, you know, daily vlogs, things like that. Because if I post a vlog uh, on my channel, I don't think that's what people are looking for. They want like a a pretty short to the point tip video or follow along photo shoot or me talking about gear. And if I do something that's too different from that, it doesn't always get received super well. And so I know that. And so you got to give the people what they want. Could you do like the Sarah Dietschy model of like one for me, one for them? Yeah, I, I think I do that to some extent. Like there are a couple of videos I posted recently that I thought were super fun. Like I did one with music bed um, where it was a behind the scenes of shooting a live performance session. And that was something I used to do a ton, um, when I was freelancing because I would get paid a couple hundred bucks. I'd go out to a bar and shoot this band and it was fun to cut together and I love music. So it was, it was fun for me. And so it was really fun to be able to share like what I used to do on my channel now and being like, Oh, this is so cool that, you know, everything's come full circle. Um, and then I made another, like what I really enjoy, but they're very time consuming. Um, are these kind of mini 
doc like essays where I, the one I did recently was about how um, social isolation during the pandemic has affected our creativity. And so that was really interesting for me to learn and to be able to like share the information that I found along the way and do different interviews. And, uh, but it wasn't, it's by no means the most popular video on my channel at all. Um, but it, I think it's cool because it does show what I'm able to do. And hopefully down the line, you know, maybe I can show that as kind of a proof of concept or proof that I can do that type of content, maybe for someone else, like a broadcaster or whatever down the line, which I might find really interesting. So, um, don't not do what you enjoy on your channel. I think it's so important to make sure that, I mean, people can also sniff out if you don't like what you're talking about on your channel really easily. So it should be something that you're excited about talking about. It should be something that you can talk a lot about because you're going (laughs) to be doing it forever and you have to keep coming up with new ideas, you know? So if, if you started something because you saw everybody else doing it and now you're realizing that maybe, maybe that's the issue is it's, it's just not the, the thing that you love talking about. Um, and people can tell. I did watch that, that video documentary on how social isolation is killing our creativity. That was Yay. great. That Thank was great. You. And I know Thank we're it. I know we're running a time and I, we could do a whole separate podcast on this. I'm going to ask a super broad question and just kind of let you take it where okay. you want to take it. But what is your creative process? <laughs> that is broad. <laughs> yeah. Um, usually it comes down to like something that excites you and that's the first step. Um, whatever it is, whether it's like imagery or a story or a question or, um, whatever, um, it has to start from that. And then it's, it spawns into a a more comprehensive idea. And usually I sit down and I talk about it and I write it out. And sometimes I'm like very, some people are more, um, collaborative when it comes to their creative process. I can do that, but I really like just sitting in my own brain and like, I'm a very visual thinker, so I can imagine what it looks like and, and where it's going to go and that kind of thing. And then when I, then it's fun to work with someone else after that, like working with Josh and no, no offense to him, but I'm like, this is my, this is my project and this is my brain baby. And like, we can work on this together, but ultimately like my decisions are going to trump his just because it's, it's going up on my channel. And of of course it's going to be my video. Um, so it's collaborative in a sense, but I still want creative control. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, but I don't do anything crazy. Like, I don't know, like I don't necessarily storyboard or, um, anything like that. It really just comes from, it's super spontaneous and I write it down in my phone or I write it down somewhere and then I have to sit down and work on how to expand that. How awesome is it having your pilot's license? I actually don't have my pilot's license, but I want it. I I have hours towards it. So I took flying lessons when I was uh, 10 and because my dad was a pilot and he was like, do you want to take pilot's lessons? And I was like, oh, oh, I guess. Like, is that something I can do? He's like, yeah, yeah, you can do that. And I was like, okay. And you just like don't say no to my dad and my family. So um, I did it. And I didn't, I mean, I knew that it was not common for me, but it was one of those things where like, if dad's telling you to do it, you're going to do it. So I just didn't question it that much. And I'm like, he seems confident that I can do it. This guy's agreeing for me to teach me. So I guess I can people are assuming that I'm capable. So I suppose I am capable. 
And it taught me a good lesson because, you know, I, if you can do anything you set your mind to, to some extent, um, I mean, to, I mean, to some extent, but I, was I the best pilot at 10 years old? No, I didn't really have any idea. I do now what I was doing. It was very mechanical, like push this button, pull this back, you know, uh, for this long. And like, I didn't have, you know, now driving a car, it's very natural feeling. And when I fly now, it's very natural. Like I understand um, how it feels and that's a little more intuitive. But when I was a kid, it was very, I, I don't know, I say these words and, you know, I'm 10. I don't know. So I would love to go back and do that. And I think now I it would just be a, a time commitment again, getting up early mornings. I would have to go a certain amount of days out of the week. And, but I, I would just to prove that I can do it, you know? Yeah. No, hundred percent. For my last question, I like to flip the script a little bit. So instead of me asking the question, it's you asking the question, but it's not to me. Pretend you have a crystal ball and you can ask this crystal ball any question. You'll get the 100% honest answer. What is one question you want to know the answer to? When am I getting an office space that's not in my house? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where like you look down the line, you're like, I don't know when this is going to happen, but it needs to happen. And will I be able to have this happen? It would be really nice to just have more space. And I feel like we keep really quickly growing out, um, outgrowing where, where we are and where we're working. You know, we only moved in here a year ago and, uh, it's a lot. It's, it makes our house very messy. And I would really like, you know, I do like working from home cause I can just walk down the stairs and, and work from here, but it would be great to just have a space completely dedicated to that was a little more separated. I would still keep this office, but somewhere that's a little more separated. So I'm just wondering financially how that's going to happen. So if the crystal ball could let me know, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Fair enough. But I want to thank you so much for taking time to jump on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. I want to give you the floor. Where can the people find you? Plug anything and everything you got right now. Yeah. So you can find me on YouTube and on Instagram and on TikTok and on Twitter at Lizzie Pierce and it's L-I-Z-Z-I-E and P-E-I-R-C-E. I realize that's confusing. I don't know why my family spelled it that way. There's nothing I can do about it now. Um, thank you, Jacob, for dealing with my schedule. Um, no I realize it's kind of a nightmare, but I, I really didn't really enjoyed talking to you and uh, thank you guys for listening. Awesome. I appreciate that. And thank you once again for taking time to come on the show. And I want to thank everybody for listening, whether you've listened the entire way through or you only listen to bits and pieces. I really appreciate you taking time to check this out. Everyone do me a big favor, go and follow Lizzie. I'll make sure all of her socials are linked down below. And if you'd like to follow me, you can find me everywhere on social media at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. As always, today's podcast is powered by Surf. Thank you once again for listening. We'll talk soon. Mm-hmm.